Everybody doing okay? Good, 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 good. All right, glad you guys are here today. Um, if you weren't here last week, we've been in the book of Matthew. We've been in it uh, this entire year, so been working through it. And I don't think we're going to get it done until probably uh, mid-January or somewhere in that ballpark, but whatever. Um, it's been really, really good. I don't see any need to rush it, and um, so we're breaking up the chapters into little parts. And if you weren't here last week, um, Mike taught, and I thought he did a pretty phenomenal job. If you weren't here for that, yeah, Mike did a really good job teaching. I told him I feel bad. I don't do it on purpose, but whenever I ask him to do a chapter, it always has like the most uncomfortable subject matter in it. And last week it was government. And I'm like, dude, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm not doing that because I don't want to talk about government uh, right before an election. And I threw it to him and, and he had to cover it. But I thought he did it really, really well. The whole rendering unto Caesar with Caesars and, and um, very, very tough thing to teach, especially in an election year. And I think the last time I asked him to speak, he had to speak on like adultery and infidelity. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry, man. I don't do that on purpose. Uh, but he did a great job. And the thing he talked about last week, we were in chapter 22, and he ran through about half of it, a little bit more than half. I'm going to finish chapter 22, and then I'll go into chapter 23 a little bit. But the, the interesting point that Mike brought up was about the kingship of Jesus. Now, we often refer to Jesus. In fact, uh, David Young, I've promoted it several times. He just wrote a book called King Jesus. Absolutely fabulous. Our, our entire staff is going through it right now. We often refer to Jesus as Savior, we refer to him as Father, but we don't often think of Jesus as the King of the universe. And he is, he's the King of the universe, he's the authority, right? And so Mike kind of talked about that towards the end of chapter 22, and where we're at in Matthew is Jesus is in the last week of his life. And so he has come into Jerusalem, he has gone into the temple, he has started to, to kind of argue with intentionally argue with the religious leaders and kind of make a spectacle out of them so everyone knows how hypocritical the religious leaders are. And they're getting into these different arguments. And there's several groups, a group called the Pharisees, which would have been the, the hyper kind of right wing, the Sadducees, which would have been the hyper left wing. And then you have the Herodians and you have the scribes and you have all these different religious people who are attacking Jesus and they're attacking his authority. That's kind of where we're at. And so we talked about authority last week, kingship. Now, as we finish up chapter 22 and we move into chapter 23, we're going to kind of go on that same uh, vein a little bit, this idea of kingship. But we're going to talk about in our culture, what we've done in the Western world, Western civilization, is our God of choice is the God of self. We've made ourselves God. You know, it's fascinating. If you study human history, we are the, the first civilization of humans that have ever existed that have, that have entertained the idea that there is no God above people, that there is no authority above us. The Romans believed in gods. The Greeks did, the Assyrians, the, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Babylonians. Everyone believed in something bigger than them. We are the first group of people that have ever existed on planet Earth that think we are the highest authority. Isn't that interesting? So we're gonna talk about how that has even infiltrated Christianity a little bit, and we have started to live and act like we are a God. So let me, let me give you a preface, uh, a preface today. You know what's tough about my job? A couple of things. Um, one is, on the weekends, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I, I feel like the majority of you are here because we, we already see eye to eye on a lot of things. So the first thing I want to say to you is, is be gracious with me today. If I, if I kind of hoop and holler and get a little upset, it's it's not you, it's me, right? So look at your spouse and say, it's not us, it's him. You know, it's, he's upset. Uh, I am upset. And um, I think I would be a pretty poor pastor if I wasn't a little upset at Christianity right now. In 2020, Christianity has, uh, has not shown itself at its best. And so one part of my job that's difficult is, is sometimes I say a lot of things that I think God has told me to say but I'm, 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 I'm wondering if they're actually, if the right people are hearing it. So the first thing today is, you may agree with me on virtually everything I say today, but, but maybe there's some kind of nugget in there that we can take, right? That you can take and say, okay, I agree with Corey and all that, but maybe I haven't done as good with this as I should have. And we can take that to God, okay? We can kind of think about that. Second thing that's hard about my job is just the fact that when you're a pastor, if you're a good pastor, and I'm not saying I'm a good pastor, but if a pastor is doing what they're supposed to be doing. The word pastor comes from pasture or shepherd, which means we're to lead a flock, sheep. 
And it is my job given to me by God that when the sheep are acting like goats, I have to say something or I'm not a very good pastor. Now listen, I'm not saying any of you are acting like goats in here, but there's a lot of people that claim to be sheep that are not acting like sheep. And we have to say something about that. Listen, it doesn't do us any good if we have a cancer and we don't identify it and deal with it. So we have to identify the things that are wrong with us. We have to let the Lord fix it. So today we're going to talk about being a God. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people have fallen into that, okay? So bear with me today. Um, Show me some grace today. And uh, if I get a little upset, again, it's not you. (laughs) It's me. I have the problems, right? So... uh, uh, just let me vent those a little bit today, and, and, um, and we'll get through it, okay? All right? You should have a notes handout in front of you. Receive that at the doors when you walked in. Everything will be on the screens if you didn't get a notes handout. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, everything should be in there. And um, if you have a Bible, if you're old school like me and you like these old physical copies of the Bible, we're in the first book of the New Testament. We're in the 22nd chapter, and uh, we'll start at verse 34, and we'll um, eventually go into a little bit of 23, okay? So let me pray. And um, we'll see where the Lord takes us today. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. I, I, I never want to take for granted how good it is to get to worship with people. And um, it's good to see you. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this church, Lord. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my moms and dads. God, these are, these are my friends. Lord, this is my family. I thank you for them, Lord. I pray that you bless them. I pray, God, that even if we agree on every single point today, God, Lord, let us identify maybe parts of our lives where we need to put a little bit more emphasis and work and let you you change some things in us. God, show grace to me as I teach, Lord, and give me the right words to say. Keep your hand on every church in our city today. Keep your hand on our government, local, state, federal. God, keep your hand on our nation. It is broken and it is divided and it is hurting and we pray for it. And Lord, um, we just pray that everything we do today, that it honors you and that it brings us closer to you and it, and it brings us closer to each other, God, that we not only love you better, that we love each other better. We pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down and um, see where God takes us, okay? Here we go. When the Pharisees had heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test Jesus. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now, the Pharisees have been trying to take shots at Jesus for a long time. And so the Pharisees had failed numerous times, so they sent a group of people called the Herodians that Mike talked about last week. They failed to trap Jesus. The Sadducees failed to trap Jesus. So what they did is they all regrouped and joined forces. You know something's up when the right and the left get together and unify against something, right? You guys live in America too, right? Okay, anyways, so the right and the left got together because they hate Jesus so much. And they got one of their smart, smartest men and they said, hey, I would have hated to be this guy. Hey, go out and ask Jesus this question about the 10 commandments. Now, what had happened is by the time Jesus came onto the scene, God had given humanity 10 very simple, straightforward commands And what humanity has done, or what they had done in the the past, is they added more and more amendments to God's laws. And by the time Jesus came onto the scene, there was over 600 commands that they were called to follow. And what happens is this. Whenever we try to add to the word of God, the human addition always confuses and convolutes the truth, always. Whenever we try to add on to what God has already said, we confuse, we convolute. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Okay, so the question was this, this man who kind of represented all the religious community walked up to Jesus and he said, teacher, what is the greatest command out of all these hundreds of laws, which one is the most important? Now, when he called Jesus teacher, that was sarcasm. He didn't care to learn anything from Jesus, but Jesus answers him anyways. 
He says, well, that's an easy one, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This was a direct quote from the Torah, from the first five books of the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which tells us that we're to love God with our emotions, our heart. We're to love God with our spiritual lives, reading the word, praying. And we're to love God with our minds, with our intellect, which means every single part of us is supposed to love God. That is the first and greatest command. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on and he gives them more than what they asked for. And he said, let me tell you what the second greatest command is. The second greatest command is similar to the first one, which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now get a kick out of this one. Jesus is quoting the book of Leviticus. Wait a second. I thought that book was superfluous. I thought that it had no bearing on our lives today. I thought the Old Testament was irrelevant. What scripture do we think Jesus is always quoting, right? And he quotes not only the Old Testament, he quotes the book of Leviticus, the one we always skip when we're reading the Bible, right? <laughs> Jesus quotes that one. And the second greatest command comes straight from the book of Leviticus, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus wanted to show them was this, loving God should naturally result in loving God's greatest creation, the thing made in his image, which is humanity. And these two commands can never be divorced. Loving God and loving people can never be separated. They are married. They are, they are intrinsically connected, okay? And that's what Jesus wanted to show them. And Jesus even goes further to say the entire word of God hinges on these two statements. He says the law and the prophets. The law is the first five books of the Bible. The prophets is, is predominantly the rest of the Old Testament minus a couple of books. And then everything that would comprise the New Testament would all hinge on two very, very simple statements. Love God, love people. Well, so some people would ask, well, then if it's that simple, why do we need this big old book? It's the same reason why you need a manual to learn how to build something, right? Like a car or something. It's easy to say build a car, but if we have no instruction, we don't know how to do it. So we're told to love God and love people. And the word of God tells us how to do that, how to love God how to love people properly. That's why we have this long, dense, deep book is to show us how to do these two very simple commands, okay? So while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. Now Jesus is gonna start asking them questions. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, David's. He asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put enemies under your feet. If David calls the Messiah Lord, how can he then be his son? No one was able to answer him at all. And from that day, no one dared to question Jesus anymore. So now Jesus goes on offense. Okay, he goes on offense again. And the reason why he's doing this is, is there is this massive crowd watching this conversation. So Jesus wants to expose to the crowd that the, the religious leaders are hypocritical, okay? So Jesus looks at the religious leaders and he says, who do you think the Messiah is? Whose son is he? Now we hear the word Messiah a lot in church, but we, we may not know what that means. All that means is the chosen one, the anointed one. And this is the one that every single Jewish person was waiting for. They're waiting for God's chosen one to come and liberate the people of God. They've been waiting for the Messiah for centuries and centuries and centuries. And Jesus says, who do you think this is? And he says, whose bloodline do you think it's from? And they answer it correctly. They say, well, David's. Every single Jewish person would have known that the Messiah came from the bloodline of one of their most famous kings, King David. So the Pharisees, they answer the question correctly. And then Jesus quotes from Psalm, which, which David wrote the majority of the book of Psalm. He, he quoted from Psalms and he says, how can the savior be from the descendant of a human and still be God, still be Lord? The point that Jesus was making is this. The savior of mankind was more than just a flesh and bone man that came from a bloodline of a king. The savior was going to be God in the flesh. God coming as a man, it wasn't just a prophesied leader. It was going to be God on earth. 
And Jesus was trying to get them to, to see it was him. You're looking at him. So he's showing tremendous grace to these religious leaders that hate him. And he's trying to do everything he can to get them to see that the truth is right in front of their eyes. But here's the problem. When we're full of hate, it is impossible to see truth. And these men were full of hate. And their feelings of hate overshadowed their ability to see what was right in front of their face. They were full of hatred. They were full of jealousy. They were full of selfishness. And so the truth, the thing that they had been studying and waiting for their entire lives was standing right in front of them, looking, in, looking them in the eyes, and they couldn't recognize it. The evidence was clear, but listen, this is so important. Emotions won out over reason and logic. Emotion. This is the generation we live in, folks. We are emotion-driven, and we are feeling-driven. And the greatest lie that you've ever been told is, trust your feelings. Trust your heart. Follow your heart. The reason why that's a lie is because the Bible tells you that your heart is deceitful. If you follow your emotions, you're going to cheat on your wife. If you follow your emotions, you're going to lie and you're going to steal and you're going to be selfish. You're going to damage people and you're going to damage yourself. We don't trust our emotions to lead our lives. We trust the Holy Spirit that then controls our emotions and, de and desires. We're not to trust our heart. We're to trust the Holy Spirit that hopefully resides in our heart. The Bible says your heart is wicked. So whenever people say, man, just look inside yourself. Yeah, do that. You're gonna find some dark crap all up in your heart. That's why the light of the Holy Spirit needs to get in there and flush that garbage out. Don't trust me. Trust the Holy Spirit that is in me. That's what we need to trust. That's the greatest lie we've ever been told. We'll get to that a little bit later. So after Jesus stumps the smartest guys in town, right? In the whole country. Says they didn't ask any more questions after that. They, they probably got sick of losing. So after they fall again, they fail to trap Jesus. And, and after multiple tries, the religious leaders thought at that point, it'd just be better to kill him. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? You ever approach someone with a hard truth? Like maybe they are cheating on their spouse or maybe they're doing something wrong and it's gonna, it's gonna hurt them. And you walk up and you say, man, dude, you gotta stop doing that. And instead of them being humbled and saying, thank you for loving me, they say, I hate you. I unfriend you, I block you. We're no longer gonna talk anymore. It's because there's so much arrogance inside them. And here's the thing. For people that put agenda before truth, the outcome is always the same, anger, frustration, hatred. And that's what we've done in 2020. Agendas have caused people to hate each other's guts. Do you know another lie you've been told? That you can't have people that you disagree with and still be friends. We've sold this narrative that if we disagree, we must hate each other because our agendas take precedent over people. Here's the thing about agendas, though. Agendas will never liberate you. There's only one thing that can liberate you. It's the word of God. It's the truth. Only the truth will set you free. Nothing else will. No politics will. No economic reforms will. The only thing that will set you free is the word of God and the truth of God. Okay? The problem is, though, is that we elevate ourselves above God. And we think that we have a superior truth to the one that's mentioned here. And that's what comes next. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Let me stop there for a second. Did you know that that came from Jesus? Whenever people say, well, he doesn't practice what he preaches. Do you know that was Jesus that said that? That's a Jesus line. That's one of those times when you read the Bible and you're like, man, Jesus was so cool, right? <laughs> and so it was him that came up with that. They don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and they put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. They do everything to be seen by others. They enlarge their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by the people. But you're not to be called rabbi because you have one teacher, 
You are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth father, because you have one father who's in heaven. You're not to be called instructors either, because you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be the servant. Verse 12, this is very important. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Okay? Very important. So what this is getting on, what this is getting into? Jesus was talking to the religious leaders. Let's pretend they're, they're, they're right here, right? He's talking to them. He's arguing with them. There's this massive crowd and all his disciples. They're watching this. And so he's done talking to them and they're done talking to him as well. So he turns around and he looks at his disciples and he looks at the massive crowd and he's about to go to town on the hypocritical religious leaders. So Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, follow the commands that are written by God but don't follow the lifestyles of these guys, right? And so what's going to come in the next couple of, uh, uh, in the next chapter as we continue on next weekend? Jesus is gonna talk about seven woes. The word woe in the New Testament can be, can be translated to catastrophic or catastrophe. And in fact, it mentions it, there's a, there's a point in the book of Revelation where an angel flies over the earth and says, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That can be translated as catastrophe, catastrophe, catastrophe. What that means is this. If we do things the way that we want to do it, if we elevate ourselves to the status of the supreme authority, it's going to be catastrophic. It's going to be bad. And so Jesus is going to show them, if you keep doing it the way they're doing it, it's going to end up bad. So what it goes back to is this. It goes back to the fruit that we're producing in our lives. What are we doing? We may say good things, but are we living good? Are we living righteously? We've been talking about fruit for months now, all the way back to chapter seven of Matthew. It is the fruit of our lives. That's how Jesus is going to judge us. So Jesus said that the leaders sit in, the, in, in a position of authority. They were the boss they were essentially the, the, the same as politicians in our day and age. These were the senators. These were the governors, right? And so Jesus said they sit in a, in a position of authority. They say the correct thing, but they don't practice what they teach. They tell you to do something, but they don't do it. Now, here's the thing. We need leaders to teach the word of God. We need leaders that rightly divide the word of God and teach it correctly. We need that but we also need leaders that live by the same words that they teach. So when we have Christian pastors that say, you need to sacrifice, you need to give, you need to suffer, and they're sleeping in a $4 million home, something isn't lining up. Something is bogus there. Do you guys see this? You're telling me to give everything. You haven't given everything. And so we need to make sure that the leaders that we're following are living by the same words that they put on us. So, but here's the thing. We are all leaders in some right. So all of us as followers of God, it's not just pastors, it's not just politicians, it's not just CEOs and vice presidents. All of us need to be making sure that not only we're saying righteous things, but living righteous things, that we're practicing what we teach. Another thing that the religious leaders were doing is they were holding people to a different standard than what they held themselves to. So they expected the people to live at this standard, but they lived at a completely different standard. Jesus talked about this. He said, judge not unless you are willing to be judged. Now, this is the one verse of the Bible that every single person on planet earth knows whether you believe in Jesus or not. Judge not lest ye be judged. We even use the King James when we use it as a weapon against people, right? And we have, we have bought into another lie that says that we're not allowed to make judgments. You're 100% allowed to make judgments as long as they're righteous and as long as they're not hypocritical judgments. If you're a parent in here, you've made 6 million judgments, right? Because you love your kids. We all make judgments. If you pull down a dark alley and there's a bunch of guys with ski masks and lead pipes, you make a decision that this is not a good way to go. I'm gonna go this way. Well, you're judgmental. No, I'm not stupid, right? <laughs> so I don't go that way, I go this way. Making judgments is not wrong. It's actually commanded by God. As long as we make judgments righteously and without hypocrisy. 
But what the religious leaders were doing is they were snubbing their nose at everyone else and they were doing things just as bad. It's like when people say, man, all those queers are gonna go to hell, but I'm addicted to porn. Everyone okay out there? Everyone's good? All right, good, good. See, that's what we do. Your sin's bad, but mine, you know, it's, eh, it's not that bad. That's what that's doing. It's judging people at a different standard than we wanna be held to. Look, listen, sexual sin is sexual sin and all of them will drag you straight to hell. All of them. You know 95% of all Christians lose their virginity before they're married? You know it's only 1% of the community is gay? So listen, I'm not saying that one's right and one's wrong. What I'm saying is we're, <laughs> if I can quote Jesus, we're looking at splinters in other people's eyes and we have this huge log in ours. That's what we're doing. But it's a lot easier to tear other people down than to have that spotlight focused on us. So they also do everything to be seen by others. This sounds familiar. Um, not only were the religious leaders putting unreasonable expectations on everyone else, they were so insecure that they constantly had to advertise how good they were, right? All the time, the Pharisees were, were taking pictures of mountains and putting scripture over them, even though they were never reading their Bible and they were putting it on Instagram. And they were doing all these things to make everyone believe they were so spiritual. And listen, guys, there's nothing wrong with you putting the picture of the Smokies with you know, something from Proverbs. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're actually reading your Bible. But if we're constantly trying to advertise how wonderful and holy we are, but we never pray, we never read the word of God, and we never do anything for anyone else, we have become Pharisees. We've become hypocrites. So we have to ask ourselves, how often do we hypocritically put expectations on others that we're not following, right? And not only that, guys, do we try to sell an inflated version of ourselves to impress others? We do. We all do. I love to look at people's like self descriptions on social media. World changer, mountain mover, entrepreneur, I don't know, influencer. And I'm like, what? Man, you think really highly of yourself. And it's, some of it is so absolutely absurd. But we're trying to sell something that's not really real. And that's what these religious leaders were doing. And so he goes on. And he talks about what's called a phylactery. A phylactery was a little bitty box that kept scrolls of the scriptures. And the, and the different teachers, the, the religious leaders would keep them either on their forehead or on their belt. I love this. And so Jesus says, you guys are making your phylacteries huge. So people are walking around with these big old boxes on their head, big old boxes on their belt, and there's nothing in there. So Jesus is basically saying, you've sold everyone to believe that you've packed this box full of scripture it's the same thing as the Instagram posts, but you're never reading the word of God and you're not living by the word of God. So what it is, is it's trying to sell a presentation that's false. It's just trying to look more spiritual than we actually are. We do these things still today. And listen, I'm not trying to be mean to you if you post the scripture of the day. That's totally fine as long as you actually read the Bible. That's fine. But here's the thing. We can fool everyone with that facade, but you know that God sees through it, right? You know that the omniscient, omnipresent God, we can't trick him. We can't like weasel our way into heaven. I posted a lot of Instagram pics, God. Yeah, but I don't know you, right? I don't know who you are. We never talked. We never communed together. You never prayed. You never read the Bible, we can tell people all day long that we're Christians, but until we live like a follower of Christ, we're not. We're just not. And then Jesus also says this. He says, don't call yourself a rabbi. Don't call yourself a father. Don't call yourself an instructor. Now, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with calling someone a rabbi, a father, or an instructor. That's not what that means. What he's saying is we need to be careful with titles. Because what tends to happen with a lot of people is when they get that title, they tend to elevate themselves to be something greater than what they are. Look, I'm a doctor of this. I'm a rabbi. I'm a pastor. I'm an instructor. I'm a father, right? So we tend to elevate ourselves. And what Jesus is saying is if you receive a title, you should receive a title with trepidation. You should receive a title with humility, right? And not flippantly. We shouldn't just call everyone pastor. We shouldn't just call everyone teacher or rabbi or whatever the case may be. And we need to make sure that when we do receive that title, some of you call me pastor, right? That I receive that title with humility and I give all the credit to God. Man, I'm nothing. 
It is God that works, right? It is all God where the credit goes. All the credit should ultimately go to God. It goes back to humility. It goes back to knowing our place. That's what he's referring to. And that gets to the crux of the whole matter. The crux of the whole matter is this. The greatest people are the servants. Because we're acting more like Jesus when we're servants. Jesus even said, I didn't come for you to serve me. Jesus says, I came to serve you. The people who love and people who serve others because of their love of God, those are the ones that truly honor God. The ones that that wanna get into the dirt and they wanna get their hands dirty and they wanna love people. It's called servant leadership. And again, that's not just for pastors or CEOs or vice presidents of companies. All of you, if you're a parent in here, you're a servant leader. You're in charge, right? But you serve your family. You work for them, you clean up for them, you you lead them, but you're a servant to them. Servant leadership and leadership on any level must be from a posture of servant and not just for people that we like or people that are like us, for all people, all people. But Corey, I don't agree with their theology, all people. I don't agree with their lifestyle, all people. But Corey, they hate me. All people, all people. We're to love others as we love ourselves. Jesus doesn't say just love people that you agree with politically. Jesus doesn't say just love people that you agree with ideologically or theologically. Jesus says, pray for those that persecute you, love those that hate you. Do you know the Roman soldiers that nailed Jesus to a cross? They didn't have the same theological stance. Did you know it? Do you know they didn't have the same political stance? And do you know what Jesus' response was as they drove the nails into his hands? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you know what a problem is? Is we keep expecting non-Christians to act like Christians, and we can't. Because they don't know. But do you know who we can hold their feet to the fire? Those that profess to know the truth. We can hold them to the fire. We should hold them to the fire, right? But we are called to love all people, all people, and to serve all all people. But the problem is this, is we keep exalting ourselves. We keep lifting ourselves up and we are our authority. No one can tell me what to do. Boy, hasn't 2020 exposed that? You're not gonna tell me what to do. You're not gonna tell me to put that mask on. You're not gonna tell me to do that. This idea of individualism, right? That you are your own God. Listen, if our desires take precedent over God's, if we try to put a standard on these people that we're not willing to live up to, if we start to exalt ourselves like we're something special and better than everyone else, listen, God's gonna humble us. The Bible says that every single knee will bow, either voluntarily or involuntarily. I want to be the one who voluntarily bows my knee to the authority of King Jesus. Because one day, Jesus is gonna put everyone on his knees, on their knees. I just wanna do it willingly. I wanna be humbled in this life, not the next life. He says, everyone who lifts themselves up, God's gonna put you down. But if you will be humble and submit yourself to the true, true king, look at, what, look, at what, look at what Jesus says, I'll lift you up. Do you guys know in heaven, we're gonna be positioned in seats of authority. It says we're gonna be co-heirs with the throne. If we will be humble in this life, God exalts us. He lifts us up. But again, the problem is, is that we have thought that we are gods. Corey, that sounds so extreme. So let me tell you how much of a dork I am. I have the Oxford Dictionary app on my phone. It's pretty dorky, right? You guys are playing Candy Crush. I'm looking up weird words, right? I'm a dork. It's okay. And the other day I got on the Oxford Dictionary app and I looked up the definition for God. Not God with a big G, God. God. What is a God? And there's four or five different definitions. You guys know if you ever look up a word, there's multiple different variations of the word. So I I comprised all the Oxford Dictionary's definition of what a God is. Now, this is what a God is by definition, okay? A ruler believed to have perfect power, wisdom, and goodness that holds supreme value, something that is idolized. Now, we look at our culture today. Now, let me tell you how this definition applies to humanity right now. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians... When we live a life that says that we are in charge, no one can tell us what to do. 
When we live a life that says we can do whatever we want, we can choose whatever we want, when we think we know it all and no one can speak the truth to us, haven't we all become experts this year, right? If you have a social media account, you're an expert. Doesn't matter that that guy has a medical degree and you never went to college, you know what you're talking about. We know it all. And whenever we start believing that we are intrinsically good, just look inside yourself. We're good. We don't need an external force to make us good. We are good. If we do these things, if we think that we're in charge, we can do whatever we want to do, we know it all and we're intrinsically good, by definition, we have elevated ourselves to the status of a God. By definition, not my definition, Oxford's definition. We have elevated our place to the status of a God. So what is a God? A God is this, we've bought into a lie. You and I have been sold a lie that reality, our reality can be changed to fit what I want. It's called moral relativism. That what is true for you may not be true for me. That if I think that wall is the Atlantic Ocean, it is because I feel like it is. We have been sold a lie that reality can be whatever we want it to be. We have been sold a lie that no one has authority over us. No God, no governments, no boss, no leader. I'm the boss, I'm the God, I'm the leader, right? It's why we all go grocery shopping with our iPods in and have music playing because it's a movie about us and everyone else is a side character. Everyone else is a minor cast member in the movie that is me. We have been sold this lie. The truth is a buffet and I can choose this and discard this. I can have whatever I want. We have been sold a lie that we can be whatever we wanna be. Don't tell your kids they can be whatever they wanna be. If you tell your kid that's, that's four foot three and 140 pounds, they can be the quarterback of the Patriots, that's not true. Maybe it is this year, they kinda of sucked this year. I'm sorry, but maybe that was a bad example. I'm a Patriots fan, guys. I'm sorry. It hurts. Anyways. But we tell our kids you can be whatever you want to be. That's not what you should tell your kids. You know what you should tell your kids? You can be whatever God wants you to be. Whatever God wants you to be, you can be it. We can't be whatever we want to be. Dude, I grew up in the Michael Jordan era. I'm never going to play for the Bulls. I'm a five foot ten white guy that jumps like three inches, right? <laughs> never going to play for the Bulls. I can't be whatever I wanted to be but I can be what God wants me to be because do you know what that's doing? It's taking the individual out of the equation and it's buying us into the kingdom. It's buying us into something bigger than just the individual. It's buying us into the kingdom of God, but we've bought into a lie. And the problem with this lie, the truth is relative, right? We can be whatever we wanna be. Our reality is the ultimate reality. The problem with that lie is that it has never ended well. It ends in disappointment. If you tell your four foot three son or daughter that they can be the quarterback for an NFL team and they don't do it, then they feel like they've somehow failed, that they somehow haven't added up, that they're not valuable, that it, life is a disappointment. Hopelessness comes with that. And with, with disappointment, with constant and consistent hopelessness, ultimately comes destruction. Look at your world, folks. All America has pushed into our heads is individualism. And what has individualism done to us? It has made us hate everybody because I'm right and you're wrong. No one can tell me what to do, right? What has it led? What has it done in the United States? This individualistic us is our own dictator of our lives. What has it done for us? Do you know this is the lie that has always been present? Let me show it to you in the Bible. Look at this. It's in Genesis chapter three. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it. God was telling us what to do. You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And look, verse four and five, this is the devil speaking, okay? This is Satan speaking. No, you will certainly not die. You can do whatever you wanna do and you'll live, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Do what you want to do and you'll be like God. That's the original lie. That's what caused humanity to fall. And it is still the same lie that is being pushed on you. It's getting pushed on your children. It's getting pushed on you from every single avenue around you. Make it all about you and you will be like God. 
and all it has produced is hurt and chaos and disorder. So the question is, who is the boss? Who is our leader? If you came in here today and you wanted to know the meaning of life, good for you, here it is. You were created to have a relationship with the creator, that's it. You were created to walk in a relationship with your creator God. There is one God, and now let me ask you, do you really know him? Do you have a relationship with the true God? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, do you talk to him? Do you listen to him? Do you read about him? Do you trust him? Do you know God? Do you know the nature of God? Do you know the commands of God? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know about righteousness and holiness? Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with him? And if you do, and if you say you do, right? I know God, God and I, we're like this. If we claim to know the creator, that means that we should be serving the creation. Remember, the two can't be divorced. So let me ask you, how are you treating other people right now? Let me look into the camera for this one. How are you treating other people right now? When you get on your social media, you're saying nice things? Let me give you an example. Let me give everyone an example. I know you're the mask wearing service, so you're already on board with this. Regardless of how you feel about those masks, I know everyone loves talking about the masks. Regardless of how you feel about the masks, have you ever stepped back and said, maybe other people don't feel the way I do and maybe I should be empathetic to that? Let me give you an example. We have 65 families at this church who have kids with special needs, some of them physical needs. And if they get sick, right? Any kind of sick, things that for us would be no big deal. If they get sick, they will die. Mike, who's one of our security guys, he's walking around here somewhere keeping me safe, but Mike, who's a great guy, has a daughter with special needs. We were talking before service and when all the COVID stuff came out, not because Mike lives in fear, not because Mike doesn't trust the Lord, not because Mike is bowing down to a tyrannical government, but because he loves his daughter, he was scared. And so he wore a mask and they stayed home for a little bit and they were cautious, right? And so when a bunch of Christians get online and say people who wear the masks are full of S-H-I-T and they're idiots and they're morons, is that displaying the heart of God? It doesn't matter if the masks do a darn thing, you've missed the point. The point is, is you are not loving others the way that you would want them to love you. That's the point. And so it takes, it takes someone who, who claims to have a relationship with Jesus, it exposes that you really don't when you use abusive, hateful language to put down other brothers and sisters. Again, doesn't matter if the masks do anything, but he was scared because he loved his kid. Let's take it outside of the mask thing. Man, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna just push it real far today. I remember, I remember when I was a youth pastor before I started this church, we had a, a young boy in our youth group who the word transgender didn't exist and it was called transsexual, right? Came out, first he was gay and then he, he was a woman trapped in a man's body, young. He was 18, 19 years old, was graduated out of my youth group. And I remember how people talked about this young man at church. My God, the things they would say. Jokes, horrible things they would say about this young man. This man not only transitioned into a woman, started prostituting himself to men. I mean, horrible things that he did and the way people talked about him. One day I took him home. He didn't have a ride from church. I'm not afraid of people differently than me. I said, man, hop in, dude, I'll take you home. He lived way out in the country. So we had about a 30 minute drive away from the church and I just said, man, dude, tell me about your life. Just life, tell me about life. And he proceeded to tell me when he was a kid how he was raped over and over and over again by a male family member. Now listen, I don't excuse transgenderism. I don't excuse prostitution. But here's what happens when you start talking to people versus at people. You start to hear that maybe there's some scars in their life and maybe they make some decisions they make because they've been hurt and damaged and broken. And do you know what we should do? We shouldn't kick them. We should introduce them to the one that fixes their soul and their heart. That's what we should do. Listen. So the next time we speak, right? The next time we type, 
the next time we talk about how dumb everyone else is, but I'm so smart, maybe we should take a step back and say, does this display the heart of the Father? Does this display a relationship with Jesus? I can tell you how the Bible says not to use abusive language towards others, but hey, you got it figured out. Do we step back and we do that? How are we treating other people? Are we humble? (laughs) Are we submitted? Boy, we don't like that word. Are we submitted servants to the king of kings? Love those that hate you. Pray for those that persecute you. Does your lifestyle prove it? Does it prove it? Who's really in charge? What do we love with our heart? What do we love with our soul? What do we love with our mind? That translates to where does your time, money, and energy go? And if you tell me that you love Jesus above all other things, all I have to do is look at where someone spends their time, energy, and money, and I can tell you exactly what you love the most and what you value the most. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is also. So wherever you put all your resources and your energy and everything else, that's really what you value more than everything else. So I ask you, who who leads you? Your desires, your favorite sports, a house, a car, a job, what's really leading you? Guys, what government do you trust? You know, I had to go there. I only got one more week and I can't really do it anymore after that. Two more weeks. What government do you trust? When Jesus stood in front of Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate said, where's your kingdom? And he says, it's not on this earth. It's above it. It's above it. Do you know every single empire that has ever existed has fallen? Do you guys know that? Every single one has fallen. Do you know what that means about the American empire? It's gonna go one day too. Maybe in our lifetime, maybe not in our lifetime. Now listen, that's not a slam. I I love the United States. There's nowhere else I'd rather live. But my hope is not in the United States. My hope is in a government bigger than this one because it's the only one that's never moved. The Roman empire came and went. The, The Greek empire came and went. The Babylonian empire came and went. The Persian empire came and went. The Egyptians came and went. Jesus's kingdom is still sitting there, solid as a rock. Where is your trust? I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. Corey's saying you shouldn't vote. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. I'm not saying that you can't even talk politics. What I'm saying is ultimately at the end of the day, where's your hope? And if your hope is in politics, man, you're gonna be disappointed. You're gonna be disappointed. So where is your ultimate hope? What is your authority? Do you believe in authority? Do you believe in governmental authority? Romans chapter 13, Mike did a great job talking about that. Do you believe in authority? Do you honor authority? Who's your authority? And how have humans playing the role of God, has that yielded what we've wanted? Has individualism played out the way that you want it to? I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. What a crock. It always hurts someone else, by the way. I can do whatever I want, it doesn't hurt anybody. You know the Bible says your body is not your own that you've been purchased for a price? Bible. (laughs) How have humans playing the God of their own lives? Has it yield contentment? You guys feel at peace? You guys feel content? How's culture doing? How's society doing? See, culture has exalted the individual and how has that played out for us? Has it worked out well? What's been the outcome? Do what you feel. Do what you believe is right. There is no ultimate right or wrong. You're God. What has it done? And it boils down to this. What really leads us? What really leads us? What dictates our decisions? What dictates how we treat other people and how we work? What dictates how we raise our children and and what kind of a husband we are? What dictates our free time? What dictates our our leisure activities? What, what, What dictates our thoughts? What keeps us up at night? What are we afraid of? What, what, what leads you? What leads you? Is it, is it us? Is it self? Is it what I want? Is it my desires? Is it my thoughts? Or is it submitting to a God that knows better than us? What really leads you? It's a good question. At the end of the day, what really leads you? You guys bow your heads with me, please.
guys, I, I, I would dare say, I, I bet almost everything we talked about today, you, you were probably already on the same frequency as me. Um, I think most of us think a lot alike. I hope today, though, there was something that, that maybe the word spoke that you could pull out. Even if it's as simple as, man, maybe I haven't talked as kindly to people as I should. Maybe I haven't served people as much as I should. Maybe I, listen, guys, I'll tell you, man, in the middle of this year, it's very easy to watch debates and read the news and go, oh, crud, I don't know what's gonna happen, I'm afraid. Me, I've done that. And I don't like politics. And even I've had to step back and say, God, forgive me. I've been, I've been fearful and that's not how you want me to live. Forgive me. Maybe, maybe that spoke to you a little bit today. I don't know what it was. Listen, if you're in this room and you have questions though, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're a new believer, if you come up here to the front, Pastor Mike is up here, he spoke last week. Smart guy, gracious guy, would love to talk with you. If you have any questions, we're not afraid of questions. If you're watching online, info at experiencecc.com, we'll do our best to get back to you as quick as possible. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage that would like to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything in your life, anything, please let us pray for you. And then the last thing is, is you have communion in your hands. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever will believe in him will not die but have everlasting life. That communion reminds us that, that, that Jesus loves us so much. Man, and Jesus had crazy left-wing followers. He had crazy right-wing followers. He had prostitutes that followed him. He had rich politicians that eventually followed him. He, he went out and he cast a wide net that any who would answer the call, he would love to have at the table. That communion reminds us, regardless of what we've done, Jesus loves us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to lead us. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you know the Bible says that he has good things for you. It says that in Jeremiah. His plans for you are good. He's not gonna lead you to destruction. He's gonna lead you to life. He's gonna lead you to contentment, joy. But we gotta trust him. Father, Lord, we love you, God. I, God, I love this church. Everyone who's watching right now, Lord, everyone who's sitting in this room right now, Father, I just pray that you, you I, I pray blessings over them, God. Blessings over their relationships and their families and their children. God, I pray that you keep them healthy and strong. I pray, Lord, that we can put our eyes on you. God, don't let fear creep into our hearts. Don't let anxiety and division or hatred or anger creep into our hearts. God, protect us from that. Lord, Lord, keep us focused on you. Keep us focused on you. And Lord, let us love your creation, God. Father, we love you, Lord. Bless my friends and family in this room, everyone watching. And I pray all these things in your son's powerful name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have no idea how much I love you. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.